Morning. How you been feeling? Uh, we need to do a better job next time. TKM, they're still feeling good. We can't send them home feeling good. Let's open up with one of my favorite hymns. You can sing along if you know it. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. You know the song, sing it. For oh, the Father up above is looking down in love. So be careful, little eyes, what you see. How many of you thought that was for your kids? I have to sing that all the time, amen? Now, what I didn't share, what I, yesterday's talk was on the provider talk, leading by example. That leads into today's talk of protecting. Now, after my conversion experience by the grace of God, after years of work, I was able to repair the damage I made in my marriage. We've been married for over 13 years. We have five children with us and four entrusted into the mercy of God. God is good. What I realized was, okay, I screwed up, but today is a new day. A warrior will get on his feet and carry on in the battle. If you have been absolved of your sin, you need to move on. Amen? Amen. Today is a new day, brothers. We have exposed our wounds to one another, to our community, our band of brothers. We now find the strength to move on. You know, it was John Paul II's Theology of the Body that really helped me. That love and responsibility that he wrote back in the 1950s was life transformational for me. His section on shame and continence is essentially what Father Champagne summarized during his homily. That's been the technique I have used to fight temptation with almost 100% success for over 11 years. What I realized was I had better start walking the walk if I'm going to protect those whom the Lord has entrusted into my care and custody, amen? That's not easy, is it? But what do we have at our disposal? We have formation. We have the sacraments of reconciliation, the Holy Eucharist, divine life to give us the grace we need to walk the walk. Amen? I had to become a man of prayer and right action. What is our goal as protectors? Now, all you brothers that are married with children, immediately you begin to think of your wife and your children. You begin to think of those scenarios of those guys kicking your door down and you standing in the way and giving up your life. Not long ago, there was a story of a man who allowed himself to be killed in order to prevent the intruder to getting into his daughter's room. We think of that as, as husbands and fathers. But you brothers that aren't married, you think you're off the hook? Do you not have a world to father towards heaven? Do you not have brothers and sisters in Christ with which you must protect? Are you prepared to protect them physically? Are you prepared to protect them spiritually? Jesus says, don't care about the one who can kill the body. Rather care about the one 
who can take both body and soul and cast it into the fires of Gehenna. You see, in Genesis chapter 2, when God said to Adam, do not eat of that fruit, because on the day you do, you shall surely die the death. He was repetitive in the Hebrew. The very next chapter in chapter 3, when, when Satan says to Eve, surely you will not die, he only says it once. God is referring to the soul. Satan is referring to your body. Lay down your body and save the souls of those whom the Lord has trusted into your care and custody. I want you to ponder that and think about that today. I love what Father Champagne said about bite back what has bitten you. And I know that's true in my life because of my own wounds, which I received from my father, which I perpetuated through my own choices, which by the grace of God, through his sacraments and spiritual formation, I have been able to overcome. I now need to bite back that which bit me. And so I'm very fortunate. I get to talk about that issue a lot. I get to travel around the world and talk to men about that wound. I love doing it. You need to do it. I want to tell you a story about a man who I met when I was a, a teenager. This man's story is very inspirational to me, and I hope it will be for you too. His name is Roy Benavides. Unfortunately for Roy, he was in the Army, which is better than the Navy. I won't mention the Air Force. I kid, I kid, I kid. Roy Benavidez was one of the last men to receive the Medal of Honor out of Vietnam. And when I met this man, I was blown away by his testimony. You see, Roy grew up in a small town outside of San Antonio, but when Roy was a young boy, he lost both his father and his mother to tuberculosis. He had to move to El Campo, which is outside of Houston, to be raised by his grandfather, but without that real solid father figure in his life, he was forced to grow up way sooner than he had to. School, he didn't have time for it. He dropped out. He worked on ranches in Texas and Colorado to try to help raise his sisters. He joined the Army National Guard because they would take him without his education. And in the 1950s, he finally made it over to the U.S. Army regular service. And he heard about something called airborne. He said, jump out of airplanes. I could do that. He makes it to his training and there the drill instructor says to him, Benavidez, winners never quit, and quitters never win. Which are you? I'm a winner, sir. Well, let's see it. Roy said that stuck with him. Winners never quit, and quitters never win. Make a choice. In 1965, Roy had already made it through Army Special Forces and was assigned to Vietnam. He was training South Vietnamese Army regulars and he was leading them in patrol against the North, Vietnam, North Vietnamese Army when he stepped on a landmine and it decimated his legs. 
They medevac Roy all the way back to San Antonio to the Brook Army Medical Hospital. And they told Roy as he was laying up in bed, Roy, I'm really sorry to have to tell you this, but you will never walk again. We're going to discharge you. He begged them to give him an opportunity. Every single night, Roy would fall out of bed and using his cheek and his one arm, he would crawl across the floor. He'd get to the far wall and he would hoist himself up, up against the wall, and he would begin to move his toes just ever so slightly. The tears streaming down his face as the pain was searing through his back. But he wouldn't quit. The nurses would come in, catch him, and they would throw him back in bed, give him a sleeping pill, and tell the doctor on him in the morning. But every night, every chance he got, he fell out of bed, crawled across the floor, and would do that. Well, the day came when the doctor showed up to his bedside and said, Sergeant Benavidez, again, I am very sorry to tell you this, but you need to accept this. You will never walk again. I have your discharge papers here. I'm going to sign them. No, Doc, don't sign them. Give me one chance. I can do this. Roy, even if you could stand up right now, Roy jumps out of bed and stands up. The doctor says, all right, Roy, I tell you what. If you walk out of this room right now, I will tear up your discharge papers. Roy walked out of that room. Winners never quit, and quitters never win. Which are you? Three months later, Roy walked out of that hospital. He rehabilitated himself enough so he could jump out of airplanes again, and he asked to go back to Vietnam. They wanted to send him to uh, South America because they didn't want to... You know, he had worked so hard, they didn't want to uh, send him back into combat. They wanted to help him out a little bit. But Roy called in a favor from a buddy in the Pentagon and found himself back in Vietnam. That's where he wanted to be. You want to know why? Because while he was in the hospital, he turned on the TV and he saw Americans bashing other Americans who were trying to fight for our country. And it drove him nuts. He was over there to help the Vietnamese. He was over there to help his brothers from dying and getting home. Roy knew that if he was going to protect those men, if he was going to help save the lives of the Vietnamese, he had to be where the muzzle flashes were. In 1968, just after the Tet Offensive, Roy Benavidez was assigned to a, a forward operating base for the Army Special Forces near the Cambodian border. Their job was to go on recons out into the jungle and to inform the U.S. command as if the North Vietnamese army had retreated back up into North Vietnam or if they were still in the area. So they were sending small patrols out into the jungle to collect this data. Roy's at the base. And then over the radio, he hears the screaming, please, of his fellow men who were out there who had been ambushed by an entire battalion of NVA regulars. And he says, who, who, who are these men? Oh, that's so-and-so. That's your friend who saved your life just the other day. The helicopters that were trying to go and save them were being shot down. One of the helicopters comes back. Roy goes to meet 
meet the helicopter and he catches the 19-year-old door gunner in his arms as he's bleeding to death from gunshot wounds. And he holds him. His last words were, my God and my parents. Roy grabbed his first aid kit and he jumped on the very next helicopter going back out to the scene. The gunfire was so intense that they couldn't get anywhere near the actual location of his brothers, most of whom were shot, dead, or dying. So they're hovering above the jungle about 75, 100 yards away. And in the doorway of the helicopter, there stands Roy Benavidez. He was so anxious to come to the rescue of his fellow men that he didn't even bring a gun. He had his knife and first aid kit. And he stands at the door of the helicopter. He makes the sign of the cross. And he leaps out into the jungle. There was no time to think. This is a time of action. This is where heroic leaders step up and step into the fray. He makes his way. He's running as fast as he can to the down patrol. He gets shot along the way. He falls. He gets up. He continues to make his way to his brothers. He gets to their location. He takes command. He reevaluates the situation. He directs the fire. He begins to render first aid. He's calling in fire support from the artillery. He's calling in medevacs. He's going out, picking up rifles, engaging the muzzle flashes from the jungle. He's holding back the enemy so that he can save the lives of those men that are still alive. And as the helicopter finally comes in, he begins to pick men up and haul them to the helicopter to put them on board so he can medevac them. One of the last litters that he was making, hauling these men while fighting, while shot and wounded, he shot again two more times, one through the neck. He falls. And when he gets up, the helicopter he had placed his men on had been shot down. He gets up. He goes to the downed helicopter and removes the men and the pilots who are still alive. Sets up a new defensive perimeter. Again renders first aid. Again engages the enemy. A man had snuck in. A Vietnamese army regular had snuck in behind him and whacks him over the head with the butt of his rifle, locking Roy's jaw up. And then tries to bayonet him through to kill him. Roy takes the full brunt of the bayonet thrust through his arm. And then he kills that man. And he continues to engage the enemy, calling in fire support, calling in a medevac. A new helicopter comes. He begins to load bodies onto this helicopter. He was so anxious, he actually threw Vietnamese soldiers on board the helicopter. The enemy. Because he didn't want to leave anybody behind. He was going to make sure that every man he came for got on that plane, even if it meant a few of the enemy did too. He was the last man on the ground. Before he allowed himself to get on board, he went out to the perimeter, collected all the sensitive material from the dead bodies of his comrades, 
took a last survey to make sure there was nobody left that he needed to rescue. And finally, allowed himself to be hauled on board. By that point, he had been shot seven times. He had received 26 wounds from shrapnel, from grenade or RPGs. He had been butted over the head, and he took a, a bayonet through the arm. He was holding his intestines in his hands. Now, Roy was so disfigured, the blood covering his mutilated face. Now, okay, I don't know about you guys, but have you ever seen a Mexican who's so Mexican he looks oriental? One of my drill instructors was that way. I didn't know he was a Mexican for three days. I thought he was Japanese. That's how Roy was. They mistook Roy for one of the dead enemy soldiers. When the helicopter gets back to base, they threw his body in the pile of the NVA. That's the man who just saved them. And they were zipping the body bag up with Roy in it. And Roy says he heard the sound of that zipper. And it scared the hell out of him. He couldn't move because he lost so much blood. He had no strength. He couldn't talk because his jaw was, was locked. And his face was mutilated by the blood so his eyes were shut because the blood had dried. He heard one soldier finally say, Doc, Doc, that's Roy Benavidez. It's Roy Benavidez. The doc said, Son, there's nothing I can do for him. He's dead. Roy remembered. Winners never quit, and quitters never win. Roy mustered up the strength to send the best shot of his life. He spit blood into this doctor's face. The doc said, I think he's alive. <laughs> Saved Roy's life. They medevaced him to uh, Japan. And on the way, in the plane ride, the nurse said, son, you will not die on me today. Don't go to sleep. I'm going to pinch you every 30 seconds. You will not die on me today. And she kept pinching him the whole time. They lost four men on that plane ride. But she kept pinching Roy. They get to Japan, they get on the operating table, and the doc opens up his clothes and says, what in the heck happened to you? He said, that woman up there wouldn't stop pinching me. <laughs> they get Roy all the way back to Brook Army Medical Base in San Antonio, where he had been before where he was told he would never make it, where he was told it was all over and he had to accept the reality. You know what Roy did? He walked out of that medical uh, ward a year later. And he finished his career in the Army, years later, as a Master Sergeant. And when I met Roy, he was standing proud and tall on his own two feet in the 1990s. And when he handed me the paper, that had the citation that Ronald Reagan read at his Medal of Honor ceremony. On the back side was a diagram where all his wounds that he inflicted on that day. And I'm looking at this, and I'm looking at him going, how the heck did that? You're still here. You're still walking. Quitters never win, and winners never quit. Which are you? Roy didn't know he was going to get out of the jungle. Roy wasn't trying to be the hero. 
Roy was doing what men are called to do. Jump into the fray and trust God. He saved the lives of eight men that day because he was willing to get on a helicopter without a gun and go into the battle. Actual combat is a great metaphor for the far more serious and deadly spiritual combat. We can be heroes on a real battlefield, but if we don't get those whom God has entrusted into our care and custody to heaven, what else matters? So here's the question, brothers. Do we live and love as though heaven is our mission objective? Do we live and love as though heaven is our mission objective? When it comes to protecting those whom God has placed into our care, part of protecting is forming them. I inherited my pornography addiction from my father, and he from his father. Like you, I have wounds. My father and I are separated, estranged. It hurts. But I have drawn the line in the sand, and I have said this far and no further. My sons and my daughters will not inherit that from me. They will not. You can kill me. I, I promise you that. They will not find junk in my house. They will not. I would rather die. I have sworn I will never, ever divorce my wife, no matter what she ever does. She could be the worst person on the planet. I can only control me, and I have made a promise and an oath to God. That doesn't mean my marriage is rock solid. It doesn't mean it's the greatest. It just means I want my yes to mean yes and my no to mean no. And I start with me. Brothers in Christ, we lead with strength. We show our strength. We're tough guys. Some of you men have been to the battlefield, the real, actual battlefields that we send our troops to. Some of you men have been in some scary, difficult situations. You're tough. But can you also lead with weakness? You know what I like to do? And one of you brothers actually uh, inspired me last night, so I thought I'd share this today. I like to take each one of my kids aside. And I like to show them my weakness. We pray every night as a family. That's part of protecting them. Covering them in prayer. Pray over my kids, pray over my wife, pray over my house. But I like to take my kids aside and I like to show them some of the tenderness. You men who are fathers, affirm your kids. Look them in the eye and you tell them how much you love them. If they don't know that, if that's all they know, then you are moving in the right direction. Amen? Amen. Basket weavers. Amen? Amen? Affirm your children. Show them the tenderness of the heart of a man of God. Lead with love. Lead with love. You protect them. You help them. You form them. 
We can block the whole world off from our kids. But if we haven't prepared and formed them to embrace the battle, when they are mature enough to do so on their own, then we have failed them. So we block the world off where it is devastating. We invite the world in where it is good, true, and beautiful. We form our children. There is a book called uh, The Pope and the CEO by Andreas Wittmer. He was a former Swiss guard who served John Paul II. I highly recommend this book to you, brothers, because this is one of the few resources that actually teaches good leadership in the Catholic faith. Solid leadership, whether you're a father, whether you're a business owner, whether you're just a man trying to father the world. This is a great book. Read one of the quotes. Speaking of John Paul II, he uses John Paul II as his examples of good leadership. Quote, great leaders make great teams. That is, the leader's responsibility to cultivate the virtues and habits necessary for success in those working with him and to help them understand the importance of what they do. Brothers, your job as leaders, protectors, and providers is to cultivate the team of people that the Lord God has given to you. The people are the point. Do you run a business? The people are the point, not your profits. You need profits to run a business, yay and amen. Profits help people sustain lives and their, and their whole life, yay and amen. But you must balance the two. The person is the point. Cultivate people. Fathers with children, cultivate your children. How do you do that? You get to know them. I love taking my kids aside and asking them, how was your day? Oh, Dad, we went to the park and we did this. What was your favorite part of the park? Oh, it was that slide and I slid down and I got on the swing and it was awesome. Oh, yeah? I ask my kids all the time, what's your favorite food? What's, what's your favorite color? What, what toys do you play with most? I don't know my kids. Do you know your kids? If someone were to ask you right now, what's your kid's favorite color, would you know the answer to that? If you don't, guess what? Good news. Today is a new day. Amen? Amen. Today's a new day to be the man of God. Amen? Amen. We've all screwed up. We've all wounds. We're going to live here and start that new day. We have a new chance. Myself included. My little four-year-old is missing me at home, and I got the text, and I got the call, and I'm like, man, I just want to run back and pick him up and hold him. He wants to be with his dad. He wanted to come. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I wish I could bring you, buddy. Don't you just want to hold them? And you men who, who are fathering the world, your neighbors, your coworkers, your family, do you hold them? Do you embrace with them? Do you get to know them? Do you form them? Part of leadership is recognizing the strengths and the weaknesses of the individual and then putting that person to play in their appropriate role. How often do we just take a person and force them down a hole they don't belong and expect that they're going to be successful? No, that's failure, and we've set them up for it. We cultivate the individual, and we put the individual to the work of the family. Question, 
What is the work of our family? Salvation of souls. That's the work of this family, amen? amen? Salvation of souls. You fathers with children, do you put your children to the work of your individual families? They have chores, yes, but do they know why they have chores? Because every member of that family is expected to do their part for the sake of the family. We can't allow our kids to slouch. It's not good for them. It's not good for us. It's not good for the whole family. We're doing them no charity by allowing it. It's true on the corporate level. It's true on the level across the world for the church. And in protecting them, we must learn to know who these people are, learn their strengths and their weaknesses. You can't protect what you don't know is weak. You can't form them in the faith if you don't know where they lack. You have to always be attentive. You have to engage in conversation. This is why we've been stressing this personal prayer, going to adoration and sitting at the feet of our Lord. How many of you try to do that once a week? How many of you men think that you could leave here and make that one of your action items to go once a week to adoration? Praise be Jesus Christ. And when you get there, just personal experience, don't bring your laundry list. Don't bring, okay, Lord, that we have this time together, <clears throat> let's go over the items. All right. Uh, I need to fix my car, okay? Uh, I'm going to need a new boat. It's necessary. Uh, I need a retreat because my wife is getting on me and I need to get out of here. So that's going to be three, $400. You know, no, leave it all aside. Just try to be in his presence and just try to talk to him. Just try to communicate and be one with him. Allow Jesus to transform you. Allow that Holy Eucharist, when it enters into your body, to utterly permeate every pore in your being. Lead with your weakness, that you may show your strength. Amen? I love uh, Sergeant Benavidez's testimony. It inspires me to never quit. Like on that obstacle course, the uh, orienteering course, my partner here was like trying to whack me over the head. He's like, what's wrong with you? Don't you know what you're doing? I thought you were a Marine. I mean, I, I, if I was a little faster, I would have found that rock and tossed it at his head. But uh, he didn't quit, and he didn't want me to quit. Amen? That's what a good man does. He never lets his partner quit. We can't protect men if they're lying on the ground hoping that it'll all go away. Sometimes you've got to reach down and grab that man by his belt buckle, haul him to his feet, and push him towards the muzzle flashes. Men need to be challenged. Now, some men, you've got to do so in a certain way, and some women in another way. That's where prudential judgment comes in. But your job as leaders, protectors, and providers is to form your troop and engage them in the fight, and see them to the promised land. I think of Moses' testimony, and as he's getting those people to the promised land, what happens? 
They're complaining about food. They're complaining about water. What does Moses do? He prays. When the people of God betray God by worshiping an idol, what does Moses do? When God wants to wipe them out, he intercedes. He's praying for them constantly over 40 years of nothing but grumbling. Is your family, like, perfect? Do they just go, Dad, oh, it's so great to see you this morning. I was thinking, if it's okay with you, I would like to lead the rosary in Aramaic while on my knees on broken glass. Oh, I forgot to mention, I've already done all my chores and cleaned my room. Afterwards, if it's okay, may I repaint the house? Yeah, okay, that doesn't happen, right? No. So, we might appreciate what Moses was going through with all the grumbling, right? Amen? But do we quit? Do we give up? When our coworkers grumble? When our neighbors grumble? Those people that God puts in our life? Or do we power through it with prayer? Do we engage the battle of prayer as the catechism says? Jesus leads the way, brothers. John chapter 18, he enters into the Garden of Gethsemane, there to engage in the fight. There the devil whispered into his ear, they're not worth it. And he mentioned your name. And he listed off all of your sins. He told Jesus about your pornography problem. He told Jesus about your anger problem. He told Jesus about all the issues that you have in your life. And he said, they're not worth it. Don't bother. It's not worth it. You know what Jesus said? Like a man, he said, I cannot hear you. I cannot hear you. Sometimes we got to do that, right? Amen? Amen. If you don't drown out the voice of the devil, you're going to start buying his lies. You better start drowning out that voice. Because they're worth it. What shall I do? Say to the Father, let this cup pass from me? No. It is for this reason I have come. And I will go. And when the horde comes out at night, making a loud noise, coming to arrest him, what does Jesus do? Does he hide in the bush? Does he allow his apostles to do all the talking for him? No. He goes to meet them head on. He knows what's coming. It means his death. But he eagerly goes, who do you look for? Jesus of Nazareth. I am. Will you go out to meet the muzzle flashes? Do you have it in your heart? To say this far and no further. To say, yes, we have been wounded. But today is a new day and I claim it. And all those in my care and custody, I will care for them. And I will not wound them like I have been wounded. I will give them a new day. Because I will die to get them to heaven. Amen. This is the sound of my heart. 
that beats within my chest. I invite you to join me. This is the sound of the king's men's heart. This is the heart that beats within your chest. You are a son of the Most High God. You were born to lead from the front. You were born to lead by example. You are a man of God. We say this far and no further. Today, this heartbeat drowns out the devil. We do it together. Brothers in Christ, if you will follow, I will lead. But far more important, if you lead, we will all follow. I will follow you to Calvary. And there by your side, we will mount the cross together and join our Lord and die for the world. Amen? God bless you, brothers. God bless you.